like to speak about this morning is, is kingdom increase, just to try and sort of bring a little contribution into the series we're doing. Um, so it's, the subject is in, increasing the kingdom of God in, in your life personally. How, how, do we, how do we do that? So I think to, to try and give a little bit of biblical background first and then, then look at how we actually do that. So the first thing we've got to understand, and, we, and you may have heard this before, so, but I'm just kind of repeating it so that we really get it clear, is that there is a change in how the kingdom of God looks in the world now. There's, there's a big change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So let me just... Um, but there are some features about it in terms of the way it works that are the same. So I'll show you what I mean. If you'd like to turn to Exodus 23... Uh, i just give you a little glimpse in how the kingdom of God increased in the Old Testament, Exodus 23. So the Exodus is all about God's people journeying out of slavery. If you're not familiar with Scripture stories, then basically um, God's people were in captivity uh, in Egypt, and uh, God had promised them... uh, Canaan, which is modern-day Israel area. God had promised them land, and the journey they took was a physical journey. So they were in slavery and captivity in one piece of land. God had promised them another piece of land, and he said, I'm going to take you from here to there, and where you live, that's where my kingdom is. You are my kingdom people. That's where uh, we will see physically on earth the kingdom of God reigning. Right? So that's the Old Testament pattern. So if we just read uh, firstly verse 20 in Exodus 23, and this is um, the Lord kind of speaking through Moses to them saying, behold, I will send an angel before you to guard you on the way. So as they journey to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. And then if you jump to verse 27, says, I will send my terror before you and throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. They were all the people that were in the land that basically the Lord said, that's not their land, that's your land, so I'm going to help you um, push them out. Uh, And... uh, Uh, But in verse 29, it said, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. But little by little, I will drive them out before you until, notice this, until you have increased and possessed the land. So he's saying, you know, I'm not going to do this all in one go, because if I gave you the whole land in one go, you, you couldn't handle it. It's too much for you. But as you grow and increase, so I'm going to give you more. Right? Just, so just keep the dynamic in your head, but it's to do with physical land. Now, if you turn then to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we then find the New Testament um, fullness of the kingdom since Jesus came. So what was in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about as being like a, a shadow. So... Um, so if you can see, but if I stand here, right, my my shape casts a shadow. Probably a little bit too much of a bulb there, but anyway, it's, uh, there's a that's the light. Uh, there's there's a, a shadow being cast by my muscular form, right? It's being cast. 
And what the Bible says is that the Old Testament is a shadow, right? It's, it's the right shape of the reality, unfortunately. It's the right shape, but it's not the, rea- the fulfillment, yeah? You with me? So everything you read in the Old Testament was, it is truth and right, but it's not the full thing. It's, it's, a, it's a shadow, it's a type, it's a, a projected image of what's to come. When Jesus came, we're no longer interested, Jesus is no longer interested in people getting hold of bits of land to call their kingdom or to call his kingdom. He actually said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. It's actually in the, in, in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is now about spiritual land. Okay, It's now about... Land in terms of uh, how we live. It's about the rule and reign of God expressing itself in every area of life. So when we can perhaps say, oh, look, the will of God is being done there because what Jesus would want done is being done. Where we see the will of God being done, we can say, there the kingdoms come. So it's no longer about land. It's now about lifestyle. It's about righteousness. It's about how God wants things to be being transferred on the earth. So in, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, we, we read this. Paul is talking about it. And he says, if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, meaning you know the Old Testament, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, that's Moses, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what was brought to an end came with for, sorry. For if what was brought to an end came with glory, how much more will what is permanent have glory? Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we with all, so we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, notice this next bit, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit." Now, to try and paraphrase what I think Paul is trying to say is this. There was great glory in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and Moses had this glory about him, and the land was a beautiful thing for God's people to possess. But he's saying, if that was glorious, how much more glorious is it now that Jesus has come, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's no longer about bits of land. It's about liberation for humanity. And it's no longer, I mean, you can go to... Uh, Jerusalem today and stand by the wailing wall and Orthodox Jews will be, will be crying and praying, God, give us the land back, restore our inheritance, because at the moment there's a veil over their eyes. They can't see that Jesus is the one who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises. Now, the Bible does say there'll come a season when there'll be a, a, a turning. I do believe that that's true. There is a turning coming of the Jewish people where suddenly they'll say, no, Jesus is the one. But at the moment, their hearts are largely hardened and darkened. But what Paul is saying is that when we come to know the Lord, it's no longer about land, it's no longer about your ethnic background, it's no longer about your, the color of your skin, the language, that, the, the, your first language, 
your culture. It's no longer about where you were born or what tribe you belong to. Because in Christ, there is no longer Jew nor Gentile. We're now part of a whole new tribe on the earth that is made up of every people group on the planet earth. It's no longer about a bit of land. It's about God bringing a people to himself who have a heart after himself and who are being transformed, as it says there, from one degree of glory to be more and more like Jesus. So the kingdom of God now is about you and me coming to know Jesus and being made more and more like Jesus. Yeah? In how we live, how we speak, how we behave, who we are. We're becoming more and more like the one into whom we have been placed. But both of those scriptures I've read and we'll get on to the application in a minute, but both of those scriptures I've read, you'll notice that in the Old Testament one, it said, little by little, I will give you the land, yeah? And in the New Testament, it says, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So the way the kingdom worked in the Old Testament and the way the kingdom works now is incrementally, okay? So we don't get everything all at once. We're saved in a moment, but we have to then outwork the consequences of the fact we're new creations. So our minds have to be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Ephesians, it talks about putting off the way we used to live and putting on a new way of living. So there's things that have to change. But in Exodus, it says, I won't give you the land all in one go because... It would, be, it would be too unmanageable for you. Imagine if God did everything in your life he wants to do right now. You might think, that would be great. I tell you, it wouldn't. Why wouldn't it? Because what God has planned for you and for me to be involved in, if we embraced the agenda of God for our lives, would take us beyond where we feel very comfortable now. So we have to grow into the people we need to be in order to do the things God wants us to do. If, if When I became a Christian, if God had given me a snapshot of what my life would, have been, would be like now, what I would have had to go through, what I would be involved in, all that I would have freaked because I would not have been prepared either for the difficulties or the fruitfulness that God wanted to do. So little by little... The Lord as our shepherd takes us through growing into his kingdom likeness. Right? So you with me so far? So the next question then. So if I was to ask you, you know, first of all, let's make sure everyone's on the same page. If you're not a Christian here this morning, the first thing you need to do is give your life to Jesus. Right? I mean, I know that's a simple thing to say, but what are you doing with your life? I mean, I wouldn't want to live, I wouldn't want to be alive now without Jesus. I mean, it's absolute. I mean, you take your chances by all means. I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. What are you doing? You say, oh, yeah, well, you just need a crutch to lean on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'll have a crutch. I'll have a hospital. I'll have whatever you want to throw at me. I, I need all the help I can get. How are you doing it? How are you doing it? What's your plan? Oh, yeah, that's just for people who are weak. Yeah, I'm, absolutely. How are you doing it? We need a saviour. Jesus came because you need a saviour. You think, no, I don't need anyone to save me. I can, I'll be my own Lord. Okay, you be your Lord when you take your last breath. How's that? What are you going to do then? You've got the power over death? Oh, yeah, when you die, it's just the end. Really? 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 I know I'm speaking harshly to you, but come on, there's a Christless eternity facing you if you don't give your life to Jesus. 
And you might sort of say, oh, you're, that's a bit offensive. Or I'd rather offend you and you at least have a chance to think about it than drift into hell without knowing that, any, that there's something else. You know, I'd rather you just know. There's got, there's got to be a sense of, come on, there is more to life than just this consumerist stuff where you just live for what you need. I mean, come on. You're not born for that. You're born for eternity. You're born to be with Jesus. You're born to rule the universe with him. That's why it doesn't feel right when you don't know him. So that's the first thing. Get on the same page. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, how good you've been. The same Savior that saved me and loads of other people here can save you and wants to save you this morning. He wants you to receive him as your Lord. Who you are and what you've done is totally irrelevant to his saving ability. So that's the first thing. Assuming then that you are all on the same page and we're all on the page together and we want to grow in the kingdom of God. We want to become more like Jesus. Do you want to become more like Jesus if you're following? I mean, assuming that, the next question is, what are the barriers to that? Because we then think, well, okay, how do I do that? Well, I think this is where, for, me, for us as Christians, this is where life really becomes complicated because you kind of think, well, yeah, Jesus loves me, he cares for me, he's, you know, he wants me to grow. But then life happens. You think, it doesn't really, you know, where's it, where's it in here about what I'm going through at the moment? And it's quite difficult sometimes to sort of find your life in the Bible. You think, this is really hard. And there's three, three ways where I think that are, are barriers to, to, to kingdom growth. And we, if we trip over these barriers, we, we, will, get, we will get stuck. Um, and the first, the first barrier to, to kingdom growth is actually a barrier that God puts there himself. You think, oh, that's a bit strange. And what I've called it is uh, loving providential constraint. Now, if I can try and explain this. It's, a, it's like when in your life, circumstances come about which are not in line with what you expect from the kingdom of God. So, uh, for Paul, uh, Apostle Paul in Corinthians, he's talked about the thorn in his flesh. And it says he prayed three times that God would take it away. Now, just think behind that. Why would he pray three times for something to go away? I think it's because he expected it to go because that would be what you'd expect of the kingdom of God. He may well have prayed about it in other people's lives, whatever it was. And he may have thought, oh yeah, this circumstance has come up. I know that God answers this kind of prayer because I've seen it happen. I know God changes this kind of circumstance because I've seen him do it in other people. So I'm going to pray, Lord, would you change this circumstance in my life? No change. So he thinks, okay, perhaps it needs a bit more prayer. Lord, um, I've already asked you about this, so i just ask you again. Please, Lord, would you just change this circumstance? Zilch. Silence. Tumbleweed moment. Nothing. So you think, no, this, this obviously, I'm going to fast with this one. I'm going to really, really go for it. I'm going to pray really my best prayers. Praise the third time. Nothing. So Paul faced this moment where what he expected to alter didn't change. Now, we can conclude, well, Perhaps there was something wrong. I, I think what we can conclude is what God did say to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He didn't even tell him why. He didn't tell him what was going to happen. He just said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, what I would like this to is, if we look at this, oh, it's already up there. You're probably looking at that thinking, what's all that about? Well, I'll now explain to you what it's about. If you see that tree with that rope around it, sometimes things happen in our lives, and it's like rope 
goes around a tree and ties it very tightly. And you try everything you can to get rid of the rope. So you've got an axe and you're hacking away and the rope's perhaps, I don't know, it's just really strong. So it just, you know, it might make a bit of a dent in it, but it doesn't change. You try to unpick the knot. You try everything you can. You get other people to come and help you, other people to do everything you can to get the rope off this tree. And it just won't go. Maybe circumstances you're living with now and you've tried everything you know to change it. Everything, prayer, counsel, books, conferences, advice, everything. They've got other people to give you all their thoughts. Zero change. How does that rope, how do we get the rope off that tree? Tell me. Got it. Exactly. And what often God allows in our lives that we see as constraints that we need to get rid of, actually... If we allow the tree to grow, it has to go eventually. Now, it may not even be that the external circumstances always completely go, but the tree grows internally to such a degree that the external constraints become less of an issue. So often we can conclude when we look at our lives, and and many Christians kind of lose their way a little bit on this. Something bad or difficult happens, and they think, God, if you love me, you'd take this away. If you love me, why haven't you answered my prayers? If you love me, if you love me, if you love me. And they conclude God is against them, or not powerful enough, or not caring enough, or, you know, they conclude bad things about God, which are not true of him. But actually, all he's allowed is providential circumstantial constraints because he wants us to grow through them. I'll give you a very personal testimony about this. Right. About, uh, how many years ago did my mum die now? Three. All right. Up until, when my mum died and my stepdad died very, very soon after that, before that, for seven years, they both had, uh, or one had Alzheimer's and one had dementia. So I can remember sitting in their living room seven years before, with a psychiatrist who'd done the test you do with people, both at the same time, and they both failed the test on the same day. So I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do now? And we felt God say to us, I will meet all their needs. That's all he said. So you're then beginning a journey. You don't know when it's going to end. You don't know how, well, you do know how it's going to end, but you don't know what you're dealing with. So for seven years, we had this extraordinary journey of trying to manage and look after two very, very dependent parents who are inevitably going to die, getting more and more confused. I'll give you two little examples. I mean, I'm saying this not particularly to draw attention to myself, but just to help you see that providential circumstances don't always mean a kingdom decrease, okay? So I can remember times when, for example, uh, my stepdad would ring, ring me up and say, there's a strange woman in my house. So I say, uh, what's her name? So I what's your name? So it'd be my mum. Yeah, finally. Now, that's not a strange woman. That's your wife. No, I don't know this woman. No, that is your wife. Just ask her. So anyway, we sort that out, put the phone down. Ten minutes later, phone ring. There's a strange woman in my house. No, there really isn't a strange woman. It's your wife. So this would go. What he would then do is he would say to my mum, he would order her out of the house because she's a stranger. She would go out of the house, walk around the village for half an hour, come back to the front door, ring the doorbell, he'd open the door, recognize her, let her in. Fifteen minutes later, he'd look at her, think, I don't know you, ring me up. There's a strange woman in my house. Sometimes this would go on all evening, again and again and again and again. And we had seven years 
of that, managing their decline. I can remember also, I'm just I'm piling it on a bit, right? Because I know many of you face far worse things than I'm talking about, right? I'm piling this on. I also, I can remember one day I had to take the family dog to be put down, right? Because, I mean, it's really, it's really bad stuff. I remember, and the dog was in a lot of pain and discomfort, yelping, and, you know, I had to take, and I remember I was just about to pick the dog out of the car to take it into, to be put down. And I, I just looked up to the Lord and I said, Lord, this is hard. This is hard. I just wanted to tell him, this is hard. But do you know what? God did meet every single practical need they ever needed in that decline. Every single time he met that need. And I would say that for us as a couple and as a family, we allowed our tree to grow. We had to learn how to draw on God in the midst of all the other stuff that was going on in life and all this other, other stuff that, you know, life carries on, doesn't it? That's the thing when stuff comes into your life. You think, well, could something else move out of the way so that there's room for it? But it don't work like that, does it? There's always more than you can cope with. Isn't that right? I think it's just it, God's measuring thing just isn't working here. There's just always more. This is so that we might not rely on ourselves but on him. See, that, that's what providential constraint does. It will either drive you away from God so you become bitter, angry, and you argue with him and say, why is it like this? Right? Or it will drive you to God, where you say, God, I don't understand all this, but one thing I do know is this. You are good, and you love us, and you will help us through this. You and I have a choice today. You might be going through... I'm trying to find a word that isn't inappropriate. You might be going through really, really difficult stuff. And you might think, oh, Mike, you've got no idea. Excuse me, I have. <laughs> we all have. It'll be different for every one of us. And it'll be painful. Allow the tree to grow. All right? Allow the tree to grow. Because if you keep embracing God through the providential constraint he allows in your life, you will grow in the kingdom. And little by little, you will get the land that God has set before you. Because as you grow, he gives you more. Right? You can do more for him. You can be more fruitful. You, can, you grow to be more like Christ if you keep embracing the providential constraint. Paul said, in response to the thorn, uh, God said to me, my grace is sufficient. And for Paul, that was enough. He kept planting churches, going to the nations, preaching the gospel. He threw himself 110% into what God had called him to do because he thought, I don't know why this hasn't gone, but I will embrace this kind of rope around my tree and I will grow until the rope snaps. Sometimes Christians have really got to have a lot of guts. It's not about saying, we come to Jesus and he'll soothe away our troubles. You come to Jesus, often the troubles get just as hard but praise God, you've got someone with you through them. So one of the barriers we've got to overcome is this thing of not letting providential constraint do the job it's supposed to. Because there is, a, there is an end. All things work together for the good of those that love God. Is that not true? That's why it's a promise. If you embrace that and trust that, even in the dark, even in the darkness you will grow and the kingdom of God will increase in your life. He said, well, I'd much rather read a book and just kind of go to a conference and be prayed for and it'll all be fine. 
Well, okay, those things help. They'll get you started. They won't complete it. They'll get you started. But you cannot inherit everything God has got for you as a person in a quick fix prayer. You can't do it. It's a life lived embracing, trusting God through difficulties as well as blessings. That's how you inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. That's what, it's, that's what it was uh, characterized. Forceful men doesn't mean aggressive men. It means people who won't let go whatever happens. Are you like that? Are you going to let go when it gets tough? You'll miss out. You'll miss out. You say, oh, yeah, but you don't know. No, I don't know. But he does. And Paul even said, we despaired of life. We felt the sentence of death. He knows. Have you ever felt like you want to die? Anyone ever felt like that? Come on, you have. Yeah. The rest of you are not being honest. Come on. If you've not ever felt at some times in your life, do you know what? This, take me now, Lord. Take me now. Beam me up, Scotty. You know. That's part of living in this world. Second barrier to growth is this. What we might call an enemy stronghold. Uh, another picture. There we go. Where it's like this load of bricks, brick wall that's been built around a certain area of your life. I don't know. It might be... You feel rejected or you feel unloved or you have got a very cynical approach to life or some way of thinking or you might have some addictive behavior or some, something about you that you just, the kingdom of God, just you can't seem to break through. It just can't seem to change. Now, sometimes we do need to, we do need to recognize that we cannot change how we are by human effort and the Holy Spirit does come and he will break things I can remember when I first became a Christian, I, there's lots of stuff in my life that really wasn't very good and I can remember one night where someone prayed for me and I knew I'd been delivered of something I, I, don't, I don't really didn't even understand the theology of it all, but I knew something had gone from me, I was violently sick, I was ill for two days because something had been wrenched out of me that was a stronghold and was keeping me a prisoner to certain ways of thinking and behaving that would not allow me to grow in God. And what happens is if we repeatedly, consistently give ourselves to a sinful behavior or a sinful lifestyle, or we resist the, the, our consciences when God keeps speaking to us about something, if we keep resisting it, eventually a stronghold will build where the enemy says, thank you very much, I'll live here because you've given it to me. And then when we want to try and move on, if we've done it for ages and ages and we've lived a lifestyle that's kind of ingrained itself in sinful, habitual uh, routine, we sometimes find it hard to move on. Sometimes it'll just go itself and the, the wall will just break down. Other times we just need people to pray with us. Many people are addicted to pornography. Maybe people in this room are addicted to pornography. Watching it on the internet, it's just you—you can't stop. You just can't stop. Keep you keep doing it. You don't want to do it. You love God, but you keep doing it. Keep hitting that button. Keep hitting that website. And you've tried and you've tried and you've tried to stop. You may not be able to do that without getting others alongside you to say, "Help me break this. Help me break this." And there are times in our lives when we need others around us to pray with us, to counsel us, to help us forward because we've got stuck and it goes underground. And we keep it hidden. 
And that's a barrier. How can we grow into all God wants us to be if there's stuff that's hidden away? I don't know what you're hiding today. I don't know. I don't know. I'm always amazed when stuff comes out and I think, man, didn't know that was going on. Let's, let's not have any under-the-carpet stuff. You know, live it, walk in the light. You know, when you bring it into the light, it loses all its power. If you've got robbers in your house, you flick the light on, they run. Some of you have been st- having stuff stolen from your, the house of your life because it's in the dark. It's keeping it in the dark. Put the light on. They'll run. They have to run. We have, in the name of Jesus, power and authority over everything that is against the kingdom of God. Everything. There is no addiction, no sin, no repetitive behavior, no stronghold in your thinking, nothing that is anti the kingdom of God that cannot be broken by the power of the name of Jesus. Nothing. It's just how we get there. There's nothing that you are facing that cannot be broken by the power of Jesus. If God raised a dead body from the grave, he can deal with your pornography addiction. Yeah? And the third reason why we don't grow personally is lack of personal responsibility. We think, can't be bothered. Do you know, that's the hardest thing for God to deal with. Because he can't make you want to want him. He can't do that. You can, you know, go to meetings, people can pray for you, you can, you know, just do stuff. Just go along, come to church every week. If there's a really nice song you like, up goes your hand. Yeah, that's okay. That's that for another week. I mean, (laughs) some people live their Christian lives like that. They might even get both hands up one week. It's a really good song. You know, but come on. And yet we're just living this trudgery of never changing. Never, never, ever. C.S. Lewis put it like this. It would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. Are you satisfied with where you are? I mean, it, those of you who aren't satisfied just said no, right? No, I'm not satisfied. Because, it, yeah, you want to grow. Apathy, if the devil can keep us apathetic, he's won. He doesn't have to do evil things, he just has to keep us from doing good things. He doesn't have to kind of come at us with all these, you know, the devil won't bother you if you don't bother him. Just think about that. Well, no, I'm not really doing much for the kingdom of God. The devil will say, praise God, wonderful. Well, he won't say praise God, but he'll say, you know, (laughs) praise me. He'll just keep you where you were. He's quite happy with that. He's quite happy with Christians who even get a little bit excited every now and again. He's not bothered by that at all. He's he's quite happy if you get excited excited at a conference and come back all, you know, put your worship to it. He's quite happy if you listen to the CDs and enjoy it. He's no problem at all. When you start actually doing something... Then he will start to think, hang on, got trouble here. I mean, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, he said, uh, put off your old self. Well, God isn't going to do it for you, is he? Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then he goes into detail. Um, Let the thief no longer steal. Okay, if if you've got a a problem uh, in your former life with... Stealing things, stop it. Stop it. 
Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Have you got a foul mouth? You swear a lot, tell dirty jokes, watch things on television that are really not... You know, stop it. Stop it. I mean, is that not what the Bible says? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, slander. But be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. Have you got, have you got someone you've not forgiven? Yeah, but they hurt me. No, forgive them. Jesus forgave you. What right have I got to hold anything against anybody, however badly they've treated me, if I compare my little offense with what Jesus went through on my behalf? He got no guilt, and I've nailed him to the tree. And yet he still has Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mad alive. And I dare to hold my grievance against someone who perhaps said or did something really wrong against me. I have no right to do that. Not if I want the kingdom of God to come in my life. If you've got things, you're not forgiving people because, you're, yeah, but they did this. They were wrong. Yeah. Forgive them. How it's easy to forgive someone who's sorry. Even people who are not Christians do that. But to forgive someone that isn't sorry? I mean, that only that's another kingdom, isn't it? The reason we're seeing bombs going off and stuff all around us at the moment is because a lack of the kingdom of God. Where there's is forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and peace and uh, and putting others first and forgiving. I mean, it's a different kingdom, folks. Imagine what we could do in this town and beyond if we really started living radical kingdom lives. Where people looked at us in the office and they thought, wow, the boss has really been unkind to you. He's given you extra work, less pay, put more and more on you. There's threat of redundancy and you're not spitting venomous accusations back like everybody else. Why? Well, there's a different kingdom at work in my life. Do you see? It's just a different way of living. Very powerful. So let's not be apathetic. Let's kind of, let's, let's go for it. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom's just such a wonderful thing, isn't it? To know you're free. And Jesus wants us all to be free from anything that's not of his kingdom. He doesn't want anything restraining us that's not of his kingdom. He wants us to live free lives in his, under his rule and reign. So his will is expressed through us on the earth, in the workplace, at home. You know, some of you have got amazing opportunities for influence for the kingdom of God where you are. And that's going to come about not by you being a wonderful person, but by you demonstrating the qualities of the wonderful person you follow. I had so much more to say, but as usual, I've run out of time. I've got too many notes and I run on too much. So how do I sum it all up? I sum it up by this. Um, what do we do about it? Number one, pray in tongues a lot. You think, well, that's a bit left field. Paul was the most, um, one of the most renowned theologians of his day before he became a Christian. He was trained, he was the equivalent of a Cambridge first in, the, in his theology. He was the, in his day, he was the pinnacle of theological thought as a Pharisee, as a Jew. And yet, after his conversion, he said, 
I pray in tongues more than all of you. Now, if a Cambridge first intellectual, with all his knowledge, thinks to himself, my learning, my words, my rational thought, my own mind is not sufficient for all the armory I need spiritually to grow, then I think if he thinks like that, we also ought to think like that. Speaking in tongues is a very odd thing because your mind kind of switches off and you think, what am I doing? This just makes no sense to me at all. I tell you, speaking in tongues is the purest form of prayer on the planet. You're praying things you don't know with your mind, but they're touching God's heart in a way you cannot know. Often when I see things that I want to see the kingdom of God in, I'll think about the person, I'll hold the person in my mind, and I'll just pray in tongues. Just pray in tongues. Don't, I don't have sort of great long seasons of it. I might be, I don't know, out for a walk or having a shower or brushing my teeth or having my breakfast. I just think of someone, I just pray in tongues. Just start praying for them in tongues. I tell you, things happen when you do that. I think, oh, that's just an added add-on, isn't it? Not according to Paul. He said, I want all of you to speak in tongues, and I do it more than all of you. Spiritual breakthroughs happen when we give ourselves to praying in tongues. They do. It's a big weapon. Number two, get discipled. Now, eldership here, at the moment we're working on a discipleship thing for next year so that we can have some like almost running partners where we can actually get alongside one another a little bit more and just spur one another on. So, you know, watch this space. Because we're recognizing that as a church we just need to provide some tools for us to use. We don't quite know how it's going to work yet, but Mike and Vince are working on that. I've benefited from having running partners, people who are just alongside me, spurring me on, encouraging me. Get stuck into serving God. You know, the more you serve him, the more you'll grow. People uh, sometimes say, oh, yeah, well, that person's not ready for this yet. They've not got, their character isn't right. People's character grows. I mean, there are things that disqualify, but generally speaking, people's character grows when they're moving, when they're serving. Give someone something to do so they have to grow, put them out of their comfort zone, and they will either grow or they'll run. But at least you know what you're dealing with. If you just wait, let's wait and see how they grow. They're not going to grow if they're not moving. Things move. You know, trees grow. You have to give people things to do, even if it's take the door off and put it back on again. Do something. Just do something, because then you grow when you're moving. And then the more you lean on him, the more you will learn about him. That's my final comment. The more you lean on him, the more you'll learn about him. Let's stand together. We've, uh, we've kind of run out of time. I don't know if we've got... Have we got time to sing a song? Um, We've got five. Is that all right? Can the band come back? Because I, I don't want to do any sort of ministry or anything because time's gone. But I do, I'd like us just to sing a song that just kind of commits ourselves to the Lord and then just go away and think about what we've done uh, this morning and um, see how it applies to you. 18s to 30s, remember the note on your phone, book in, all right? Sent. So let's just uh, worship the Lord together. So as we do this, just, uh, let's just lift our hands to the Lord. And whatever part of, if there's something I said that kind of helped you in any way, that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit, just kind of hold that up to the Lord and just offer your life to him again and just say, Lord, I really do, wanna, I really do want your kingdom to reign in my life more and more. Just, so just as we sing, just sing it as a prayer, sing it as a, uh, as a real commitment to him.